Welcome to the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast. We look at revitalization in real time, examining the ups and downs of revitalizing and replanting historical and legacy churches throughout New England and the U.S. And now here's your hosts, Eric Malloy and Don McKinnon. Welcome to the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Malloy, pastor at First Church in Charlestown. You'll notice that I'm without Sam and Don today. Um, That's because I am on the road um, at a conference uh, at the North American Mission Board in Alfreda, Georgia. Um, So with me, instead of those guys, uh, we upgraded a little bit, so sorry Sam and Don. Uh, But instead of those guys, I have a couple of special guests with me today. I guess it's several. couple means two. So I have several special guests with me today. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let them uh, introduce themselves. One's a returning guest, so uh, we'll go with him first. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Jim Harrell. I'm with the organization called Overseed. We uh, coach pastors of declining historic New England churches, and I'm the president. And I'm Mark Clifton. I'm the senior director of Replant at the North American Mission Board, and we help churches make good decisions so they don't have to close their doors. And I'm Bob Bickford, the Associate Director of Replant at the North American Mission Board. All right. Hey, guys, thanks so much for, uh, for spending some time with us uh, today, this morning. It's still morning. Um, I have no idea when this is going to post. You guys are going to listen to it whenever you listen to it. So, um, so we have a couple questions, um, and it's just stuff especially that's been going on um, while we've been sitting in the conference. And, of course, you know, we're all we're all New England based guys, so so things are a little messier and uglier with us at times. I think up there. So um, I, you know, I came out of the church planning world. I know Mark, you talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. and um, it's nice. And and so uh, switching lanes, it's similar, but we're still it's still a lane switch. Um, and we know the emphasis has really been on church planting for the last 10, 12 years. I'd say at this point now. Um, but let me ask you guys: Where do you see revitalization and replanting? going over the next five to ten years? I think there's a lot of interest in it from young men who are really interested in um, and really even the property, even the the sacred structures in a community, making sure that the community always has a sacred space and a sacred structure. We all know the church is not the building by any stretch of the imagination, but there is something about the visible presence where a gathered church meets on a regular basis and a basis for ministry in a community, in a neighborhood, especially historically. You know, everything else in the neighborhood can change and, and will evolve and it'll churn. But, man, the, the gospel needs to be consistent and needs to be there. And it's the one, the stack pole around which everything else can move and change, but the gospel can be, can be consistent. So we see a lot of guys very interested, not in planting as much as going to these churches that are about to close their doors and finding ways for them to have a whole new fresh breath of life. I think that's something, um, Jim, uh, that, I know that's something we notice in New England as far as the sacred space and having the church and that kind of thing. Um, is that, I mean, Jim, why don't you, uh, can you speak to that from kind of our perspective? Sure. Well, I, I think one of the directions we're seeing is as, is particularly as the historic church declines, the opportunities to re-enter the gospel into churches that haven't heard it in a long time is more and more a reality. The other piece about the structures in New England, uh, many communities are trying very hard to zone churches out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to lose real estate, again, loses missional opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's true in all cities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult sometimes to get zoning for new church buildings. And very costly, uh, even to 
the work, the prep work to, to, to get the zoning, to get the land purchased, the prep work on the land, forget the building, that's a whole other costly yeah. issue. Yeah. And when you can, it's just a good use of God's economy to not let these buildings uh, go away. Yeah, I see the, the narratives changing that uh, most of us, when we went to Bible college and seminary, you ran away from the dying church. And, and there seems to be more men who are called to, to go to the dark, dying church. They desire to do that. And so, uh, you know, that's exciting to me to see that. But I, I think other, the other reality is that I think in the next five to seven years, we're going to see a cascading wave of congregations that, that their future is in doubt and in peril. And so you see the simultaneous movement of replanting and revitalization are really picking up speed right now. Mm. And I think that's a God thing. That's a God movement. Yeah, I know. I mean, you talk about the uh, sacred space. I think about our, um, our neighborhood's very gentrified at this mm-hmm. point. And uh, just the street our church is on, sits on, um, almost everything on our street is nonprofit. So I know, wow. I mean, the city doesn't even, won't even pick up our trash. Like if we want trash picked up, we have to get a special contractor. Um, to come pick up our trash, so that's how they get us back for not paying taxes. Is that they they won't pick up our trash? So it's um, yeah, it's good times. Um, so how do you guys see this? And this is probably more for for for, um, for Bob and Mark over here. Um, how do you see this moving um, on the denominational level? How do you see this moving? Yeah, it's really on everybody's radar. It was on nobody's radar ten years ago. Nobody wanted to talk about it. We were all focused on other things, and it didn't feel like uh, it was worth our time. Because it's difficult work. It's long, laborious work to go in and work with a church that's dysfunctional or that's about to die, has lost its social validation. It's, as Tom Rainer says, it's kind of in a death spiral. Um, it's just easier to go start something brand new. And so uh, for many decades, we focused entirely on starting something brand new. And we really didn't, we didn't just pay any attention at all to, to dying churches. We, we did some work with... De- declining churches, churches that still had plenty of life and health, but were maybe in a, in a downward trend. But the churches that were like heading you know, to crash and burn, we just ignored them and thought, well, it's going to happen. That's changed, and uh, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which I think is, is the Holy Spirit has drawn us back to His church. Um, but also I think just the idea of not letting these buildings go away, as you've just said, how hard it is to purchase land and buy buildings and get it zoned. And the reality, again, that, um, that there's something wonderful about using a building as a base for missional activity, to bless the community, to serve the community. And my generation, I'm, I'm almost 60, when we were planting churches 40 years ago, we didn't want old church buildings. We'd, we'd run away from them. Uh, but this generation understands the uniqueness of those buildings, even the character and, fr- quite frankly, the charm of those buildings and the history of them. And, uh, and so they, and there are many communities, actually, that, um, don't want to lose those buildings. They're part of the landscape of the community, part of the texture of the community. And so the community sometimes embraces those buildings too as part of their her- heritage and history and they don't want them to go away. Yeah, I think the, the movement in terms of a denominational level, we, of course the North American Mission Board, uh, you know, that's why Mark and I are here. Uh, you know, several years ago they, they saw the need to also address uh, redeeming churches not just planting because we were not keep we're not keeping pace with population growth and all those sorts of things. So I, I think I'm really encouraged by that. And I think it's the, we're also seeing a proliferation of degrees now in church revitalization, primarily like uh, demons and PhD work and stuff like. That. So there's there's also uh, what I'm excited about is there's an academic push in terms of SBC seminaries 
to, to get guys studying what, what's really happening out there. So the fruit of that is going to hit uh, about at the right time when, when we're really needing to apply that on associational levels and, and strategic levels. And, and it's, I think so it's really incredible to see all that happening. We see the same thing at Gordon-Conwell. For the first time in my memory, there's actually a course on revitalization. It's not enough, but at least right. the awareness is growing. I think the other thing we're going to say, especially in New England, we're on the verge of massive closures yeah. of churches. Uh, what the Methodist minister I talked to about three years ago said there was, for example, 105 churches in Vermont, and he predicted in five years there would be five. Wow. Yeah, and that's similar in, to to Canada. The hmm. United Church of Canada is closing churches. They don't know what to do with all their properties. Uh, and, and Anglican churches are closing as well. Um, and so that, you know, we don't quite have that epidemic yet in Southern Baptist life. Um, but we have been asked to respond to churches that uh, they were losing their buildings and would we come in and help them and, you know, that kind of thing. Again, you know, some of those historical buildings will be turned into gift shops and bed and breakfast and restaurants. And in that sense, the architecture remains part of the landscape. But um, that's not the same thing as actually having, a, as I said, a a sacred space, a witness in that community. And um, so I think there's an opening for guys who are just willing to be used of God to go to those places. I, I, I served up in um, Kansas and Nebraska for a dozen years, and out in rural Nebraska, the Lutheran churches were closing because the communities were depopulating. And they would, uh, but there were still people living in those communities. And they reached out to us because we were the only ones that had any sort of active ministry in those counties. And we'd go into those churches that were closed and we would start Bible studies and Sunday schools and things like that in little rural communities. And uh, those churches are still going. And so, uh, awesome. yeah, it, it can happen. Um, I could talk a lot more about that. But uh, uh, there's some opportunity for, the, for us in the future in, in that as, as those churches die and, de and decline. For us to be there with the answer and to care for the community and it's all based on serving the community i mean if you don't serve the community if you're not trying to make the neighborhood better and the city better uh then you really don't need to be there in the first place mm. um cincinnati baptist shared a, a a picture of a church in our community that's a dollar tree now like the yeah it's it's still there and it's just a big poster of a dollar tree i walked through it with a partner the other day and um um Man, the basement, the, the, it's down in the basement, it's down in the fellowship hall, it's not in the sanctuary. And the um, it's still church basement. Like, you walk through the tile, you're wow. like, yep, that's that's from a church basement from, like, the 50s. So um, we're kind of you know, bouncing on this idea of, of buildings. I know, Mark, one of the things you talk about a lot is leveraging your, your building um, to be able to do community activities. I know one of the stories that I like is you talk about the birthday room. Yeah. You know. Just have a take a room and paint it up and put fun figures on the walls and just let the community know that they can have their kids' birthday party there. Or if you have a church with a with a kitchen and a fellowship hall, a lot of people have smaller homes and smaller kitchens and if they have relatives come over, they want to have a family gathering, they can't do it in their home. And if you just let the community know, hey, you can use our church for free, uh, the fellowship hall and the kitchen, uh, if you got an event coming up, things like that. Uh, we just thinking way outside what we normally would so that we see the building not as a place that's off limits to anybody but members but really that is a community center um, in every sense of the word we we had something happen before I came to the church it was pretty exciting um, uh, there, there was a softball field out back and a soccer club needed a, a practice space in our city kept getting kicked off of everybody else's practice space so they, they city goes once you talk to the church 
and uh, this is before I came. So they, they said uh, to the church leaders, we'll come and level the field, put in a sprinkler system, and sod it, and manage it, and maintain it, and let you guys have right of first you know, use. Uh, we just would like to have a long-term lease. And that narrowly passed our body before it replanted. Wow. But it passed. So every soccer practice season, we have 250 families that come to our facility on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, so that was an awesome use of, of a dangerous church softball field that was like holes and just, I mean, we never <laughs> mowed it. Who knows what you know what was back there? But so that was a way to redeem the, the property. But we also um, we have uh, AA groups. We have we do the same uh, exercise yeah. group. We have a acapella women's singing group that meets. We've had uh, classical school, you know, classical conversation school that's met in. So we, we realize that the church facility is the most unused piece of real estate throughout the week, and we just try to flip it on its head. Yeah, and we, we, we used our building, and others do too, for we let the business community know mm -hmm. that it was open for lunches. If they wanted to have some business lunches there and cater them in, they could use that. That's a good idea. And so, because uh, we had fellowship hall, we had screens, we had whiteboards, and uh, they could have their, somebody could cater it for them. And so we had a lot of times we had businesses that would use our, our building for a catered luncheon or even breakfast. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because we have an AA group. Um, and we've been, a, our, you know, we're, we're a replant. We've been, our big push recently has been um, evangelism and sharing mm -hmm. the gospel, sharing the gospel. Um, and it's funny, folks in our church are, they'll say, well, I, you know, I prayed at the beginning of the week that God would give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And I had a chance to today. Mm. And you're like, awesome. that's, you know, it's amazing when you pray, pray for the mm -hmm. will of God that he gives it. And, mm -hmm. and I just, you know, I tell them, it was really cool is um, every time I walk down to the AA meeting, I'm almost, almost every time I get a chance to share the gospel with somebody. I mean, I had a guy approach me the other day and literally just, hey, hey, what's that? Somebody told me good people don't go to heaven. What does that work like? Mm. And, and so, you, you know, you just think, wow. And so I think it's great that you talk about having the community in your space and just, I mean, you just, the, the opportunities that um, kind of open up from that. Um, so the next question, I was, was curious about this. Uh, you know, the Revitalization Network just launched last year, um, and it's kind of the first national, and they announced their first national conference for February 2020. Um, do you see this as kind of being, as, as replanting Revitalization becoming more of a national network, or do you see more of like regional groups and conferences both, being more? Both, just like church planting has. There are certain national church planting networks and then regional church planting networks. And, you, you know, the good thing about church planting is there's a network for everybody. And so we're going to have to have that with revitalization, too. It's going to be contextual but also broader. So both end, yeah. Yes? Same. Agree. It's, yeah. Um, I'm regional, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have national and regional all set right here. I guess that makes so sense. So I think that, yeah, one of the defining realities, and this is this is going to be true for us, is that replanters and revitalizers are most likely going to be bivocational. That's your story, Eric. Yeah, right? so just my story too. Just came out of it. Yeah. So the ability for the for a bivocational guy to take time off to travel to the national thing, it's going to be limited, right? So you're going to have a both end. And then I think, too, each, our cities and contexts are so unique that it's important to have guys in my area that know what it's like to, to replant but my area. It's important to have national because it gives you, gives you a sense of, of, of momentum, mm -hmm. a sense yeah. of movement that you don't get when you're just isolated in your own region. So the, the national kind of connects the dots. 
but the real driving force will be the regional networks. Well, I mean, I'll speak as a replanter coming out of bivocational. It's nice. Um, you know, I was, I was at the conference back in August, and, and then, of course, you know, the labs, or the lab back in August, and use the proper terminology. And then they come here today, and it's encouraging to see other guys. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, because I yep. think sometimes replanting can be so isolating because you're like, well, I'm not really a planner, and I don't really do planter stuff. But I'm not really an established church pastor because I got to work for it, and so it's it's. I think it's nice to be able to connect with other guys and be able to kind of see. And even regional, you know, I'm sure you're seeing this. Like in New England, I've got Northern Maine, I've got just outside of New York City, mm-hmm. I've got Western Mass. So, I, so I've got I've got a whole dynamic even within that small geographic area. Yeah, and for those of you guys outside of New England, New England isn't just Boston. I, I think you know, and I'm you know we're we're in Boston. I'm a Boston. I think so many guys. Thanks for clarifying you that know, for you. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a funny meme that goes. It's like how people outside of New England, outside of New England, see it. It's like Boston, and then you know just a little bit of the state. So yeah. I think um, I think a lot of guys think it's just you know one giant city. Do you have any other football teams up there besides the? Are there, are there any other football teams anywhere besides the Patriots? Oh, okay, I yeah. mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they should rename the trophy. Just call it the Belichick Trophy, right? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, so, last question, um, and, and, and I want to hear from all you guys because I, I bet you there's, we're going to get some different perspectives. What advice would you give to pastors who are looking into revitalization and replanting? Yeah, keep looking. Look at all different resources. It's not just one out there. There, you know, different different opportunities that fit our own sort of. Uh, giftedness and how God's created us and so you know look around and, and talk to lots of people read lots of books um, and inform yourself don't don't isolate yourself uh, and there's all kinds of resources just drink them all in and let the Holy Spirit really speak to you through them and then uh, get into a brotherhood of men who are replanting and revitalizing and listen to them and and uh, you know God uses relationships to empower us and when you read the New Testament, you know, all those are all about relationships between Paul and Timothy and Titus, and they weren't doing any of it isolated, you know. And so don't be isolated. Take advantage of all these great resources. Uh, absorb all of them you can. And then um, understand it's really hard. It's going to take a long time. You're never going to get famous. You're never going to get rich. You're never going to be a celebrity pastor. So that's okay. Just put all that aside, and you, you're not going to get the praise of men. But that's okay, too. I think the Bible says something about that. So <laughs> you just be obedient where you are and find your joy in the gospel and what Christ has accomplished for you and do the hard work of loving his church and loving it back to health. I, I would think that, that the biggest thing that I would say would be confirm your call to replanting mm-hmm. or revitalization. Um, it's not just another job, and it's not just another ministry assignment. Yeah. You must be called to it and I think your spouse needs to affirm that call and then I would have people that I trusted who knew me and if I was evaluating that call again speak into my life to confirm that call I, you just you can't go into it if you're not called to it mm-hmm. yeah we tend to call our replanters patient catalysts mm-hmm. so there's got to be kind of a, an innate ability to go at God's pace yeah but you also got to be a catalyst for something new or you'll just turn the lights out. And so I need, we need someone who's got vision but doesn't have to get there in a hurry. But then also just address your own stuff. You know, you're going into probably a dysfunctional situation and the healthier you are going into that situation, the more help 
you're going to be. And so just to get with God and to get, again, people that know you and continue to address your own issues so that you can truly go in and be a non-anxious presence and be the Spirit of God to people. Yeah, um, so I'll share with you guys. Jim knows the stories that I was meeting with the guys who ended up hiring me. And uh, I said, well, what if I don't take the job? What are you going to do? And they're like, well, we have a a lesbian uh, Unitarian pastor. We'll just... We'll just call her. And so the idea was like, I'm not even sure I can ask my wife at this. I, I think I just have to say yes and, and hope she's not too mad when I get home. Yeah. So, um, but you know, it's, it's funny how that, um, guys, I know if you're listening, like look, talk to your wife. Like don't, yeah. mine's a bad example and probably somewhat unique, but I mean, I, it's an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you go to a mainline church, but yeah. when we went to Boston to plant, the neighborhood that our church is in is actually when the neighborhood my wife wanted to be in. Oh all along and so um i've gotten four and a half years of i told you so's so which i anticipate many 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 more years of guys thank you so much for being part of what we're doing um thanks for uh, taking the time out to do this with us um and to the listeners we just want to say thank you for tuning in to the practical church revitalization podcast um we're going to thank uh thank our sponsor overseed um overseed exists to see vital growing historic churches in every new england town reach in their communities for Christ. Um, If you want to join a cohort, check out overseed.org.